Today's Bible study is called Spec Ops for Jesus, which is short for Special Ops, which is those guys in the army that do special jobs, like go in and assassinate someone, or I don't know, they do all kinds of stuff. It's the guy you always are in the video games. You're never a cook. <laughs> You're always the master chief, like special guy. So that's what we're talking about today. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, I come to you in humility and asking God that you would um, somehow use me. Lord, I know, actually, I know how. It's through the spiritual gifts that you have given to your church. And uh, Lord, I pray, Lord, in, in all sincerity, Lord God, that, that I would fade away and that your word would be exalted. And Jesus, that you would speak individually to each one of us about what you have for us and, and what you've given to us. God, not about what we can do for you, God, but about what you have done for us and how we can walk in the glorious path that you have for us. Jesus, I ask for your mercy, your forgiveness for my own shortcomings and failures in my life. And I ask you would make me a, a vessel for your use. God, bless all the dads in here. And Lord, let us just humbly, Lord, look at your word as being the source of our very life. And Lord, just please work this in our lives today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I, I came across some things to remember during war. So if you guys are ever drafted into the military and you're fighting, here's some things, okay? The only thing more accurate than enemy fire is friendly fire. Try to look unimportant. They may be low on ammo. Do you get it? So they won't shoot you if you don't look like, never mind. <laughs> Teamwork is essential. It gives them more targets to shoot at. It's good to remember. Uh, no inspection-ready unit ever passed combat, and no combat-ready unit ever passed inspection. Remember, your aircraft was made by the lowest bidder. <laughs> Never draw fire. It will irritate the rest of your formation. Never share your cockpit with someone braver than you. And lastly, you are not Tom Cruise. Well, I, I start with that because we are in a war. We're in a, a battle, a full-on assault on the kingdom of darkness is happening right now. We have an army, and they have an army. I'm tempted to break into song to, we're the Lord's army, yes, sir. We're in the Lord's, but I don't know the words. So just like any army has specialists, the church, we have specific and unique Specialists, people who have been specially prepared and commissioned for a certain purpose. The military has spies and they have cooks. They have generals and engineers and commandos and janitors, translators and then maintenance technicians. The military trains all these people based basically on their, on their natural abilities, their personalities and what they're good at. Well, a few years ago, a Dutch professor took time to calculate the cost of an enemy soldier's death in, uh, in different uh, parts of history. And he estimated that during the reign of Julius Caesar, to kill an enemy soldier cost less than a dollar. And at the time of Napoleon, it, it was more than $2,000. 
And at the end of the First World War, it had multiplied to $17,000. During the Second World War, it was about $40,000. And in Vietnam, it was $200,000 per enemy death. And uh, global military expenditure now is running well over $1 million per minute. So war is big business. And the world has a very specific way of doing it, and it oftentimes involves money, investing in, in certain people more than someone else. You might see someone who has a lot of talent and, and maybe did great in high school, and they're wondering, and so you have these recruiters come out, and they say, have you ever thought about your future, Forrest Gump? And, and they take him to... They, they take you to the army and, and they say, here, let's, let's they, and they, they kind of suck everything out of you. And you're there and, and they use up your talents, they use up your energy, and by the time you're done, a lot of people are just tired and done with life. Well, the church is totally different. They, it doesn't work that way. Instead of God sending us to some boot camp and assigning us a job based on how good we are at doing things, he just supernaturally bypasses all of that, and he gives us spiritual gifts. These gifts are not based on how good you are at doing things, but on how God wants to use you. So it's not based on your natural proclivities to be able to do something. But no, it's, it's how God chooses, however he chooses to use you. So, we begin now in Ephesians 4, verse 7, and it says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So no one deserves or has earned these spiritual gifts. When you repent of your sins and you turn to Jesus in faith, you are given spiritual gifts, at least one and maybe more. And these gifts can work together with your natural personality, but they can also supersede your personality in amazing ways. Let me illustrate this, because you might be thinking, I, what is my spiritual gift? What am I? I have no idea. Maybe I just came to know the Lord last week. And, or maybe I've been walking with him for a long time, but I'm kind of stuck in this rut of not knowing what my spiritual gift is. Well, let me illustrate this by telling you a little story. Let's just imagine my son... Jordan, he's the youngest of my six boys, and he's, he's a bit clumsy. We'll just, if he's listening to this in many years, Jordan, you were clumsy. He falls often. But let's just say he, he saw me kind of thirsty, and, and he, he read right in the middle of church. Right now, he ran down the, the stair, the, the, what are these, aisles, and he trips with a glass of water, and he spills the water, so that's our story. So we pause right there. And I want each of you to think, and I'm going to illustrate some different responses to the crowd, the, the body of Christ that's gathered here. And let's think about how maybe the Lord would use you. Maybe you have the gift of a prophet, a prophet. And so you stand up and you say, Jordan, thus says the Lord. When you run and don't look where you go, you will fall and the fall will be great. You, you give a prophecy into his life. Or maybe you're gifted in serving or helps. And immediately you say, let, let me pick you up and, and dry you off, Jordan. 
and you, you help him out immediately. You're, you're the first one up. I was at Starbucks this week with a friend, and, and the wind came and blew Starbucks umbrella down the street, and I just kind of sat there like, whoa, all right, because I don't have the gifts of service. But the friend I was with, he can't, I probably should have, but this is for illustrations. My friend, he gets up and runs out, and cars are honking and lightning and rain and hail, and, and he's here right now, and he's just thinking, yep. And we even talked about that. So he had the gift of service. Well, maybe Jordan falls, and you have to, uh, more of a teaching gift. So you say, Jordan, come here, buddy. You fell because the rate of running superseded the ability of your legs to keep up. And this is how you can succeed in the future. You give him a little lesson on lifting up his knees as he walks. Or maybe you have the gift of encouraging. So you, you, you tell, Jordan, you almost got there, buddy. You're such a good boy. You're so concerned with others. I just, man, if everyone was like you, it'd be great, Jordan. Maybe you're gifted with giving. So you say, here, Jordan, take my water instead. Or maybe you have the gift of administration. If you do, talk to me. I need someone like you. But your thought immediately is, we should really do something about this, these stairs. Let me redesign this whole room. Water should be up on the stage 15 minutes before service. And you need to be responsible for that. You need to start working on this. Let's do this on three. Go. That's the administrator. Or maybe you have the gift of mercy. So you come and say, Jordan, buddy, I know exactly how you feel. You must feel so horrible. You must be so embarrassed. Come here, let me give you a hug, buddy. Maybe you get a word of wisdom. You say, Jordan, here's a word of wisdom for you. You should walk as if you were a sloth. Maybe you get a word of knowledge. Jordan, he already had water. Maybe you have a gift of healing and you, you just put a Band-Aid on him or pray for his wounded knee. Or maybe you're an evangelist and you stand up and you say, did you all see him fall? Repent, lest you fall the same way. <laughs> so these gifts are not for us to use on ourselves. The reason why Paul is writing this part in Ephesians is because they're to bless the church. The, the reason why he's gifted you in one of those areas, and you do have one of those gifts, is because he wants the church to be edified. It's not even about you at all. So each and every one of you have this job, this specialty. You're a, you're a spec ops operative you know, in, in the Lord's army, and it's for the purpose of growing the church. And each one of you are specifically equipped to do that job and you weren't born with this ability, but God works through Jesus in your life to enable you to do this job, this ministry. And so these aren't a burden. They're a huge blessing. Maybe for you standing up and saying, repent is, is just the scariest thing in the entire universe, then you probably don't have that gift. But for some of you, that's exhilarating. For some of you, it's like, yeah, I could, I could tell people what's up. 
especially when I'm following the Lord. And, and so these gifts are not a burden, they're a blessing. I find no greater joy than serving the church with the gifts that God has graciously given to me. I know I'm a part of what he's doing, and it's amazing and it's humbling because I know that I'm literally no better than any of you. I literally have no better access to the Lord or walk with the Lord than any of you. But he has chosen to give me a gift, and it's, it's interesting because in this verse, you know, the question comes to my mind, how, how amazing is my spiritual gift? How powerful is my spiritual gift? And he answers that in this verse when he says, it's according to the measure of Christ's gift. Your spiritual gifts are according to that measure. That means it's the same as the, in power and in glory as the Jesus gift of salvation. So how amazing is salvation? Well, that's how amazing his gifts to you are. How thorough is Jesus' salvation? That's how thorough your gift is. It can be life-changing. It can be life-altering. He not only paid for your sin on the cross. How can he give us this gift? He not only paid for your sin on the cross, he personally thought of you and how he could and would use you supernaturally. And he planned out spiritual gifts to give you. And not just you alone. I mean, sorry, it is specifically for you. You're different than every other person, every other part of the body of Christ. And Jesus specifically, I believe, thought of you. And he planned out your life and the gifts that he would give you to be able to bless his church. Don't think of these gifts like cookie-cutter gifts that are all the same. No, think of them more like X-Men powers, where each, each person is unique. They don't you don't fall, they may fall into these broad categories of teacher and administrator and prophet, but they're unique to each person and, and may be distributed differently as the Spirit wills to each person. And you may be walking in yours right now, or you may not. You may not believe that Jesus has given you a gift, so you may be ignoring his calling in your life. Or maybe you're just afraid. Or you may not have any clue what to do here at White Flag Calvary to serve the body of Christ that you've been put in. Or you may not be happy with your gift. Maybe you think you should have a different gift. Well, Paul is inviting us to know and walk in our spiritual gifts. It's like your own invitation, your own personal invitation has arrived in the mail to Professor Xavier's school for gifted youngsters. That's an X-Men quote if you don't know. Nerd life. Okay. Look at verse 8 with me. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. I want you to picture in your mind a Roman general returning from war. He would ride high on his horse through the streets of Rome, and behind him would follow his army, followed by the, the spoils of the victories that he had won across the empire. And that's what I want you to picture when you read this verse of Jesus. When Jesus rolled up into heaven... He had this entourage, it says, of, of all the souls that he, he had redeemed. 
And then he gives gifts, like the treasures that a general would win, that he would bring back to bless the city. Jesus gives gifts to his church. Which means that he thinks about his church. He thinks about you. He plans the way that he's going to use his church. He literally sets aside a measure of his spiritual power and riches to anoint you, and he waits for the day when he can give it to you and he can see you walking in it. And that whole ascended and descended, all that stuff means that he had to come to earth first and die for you on the cross first. He had to go to war first. He had to go win the battle first. He had to pay the price first for these gifts. But now he arrives in heaven and it says he's exalted far above all things and he is able to now give these gifts to the church. And these gifts work. They're not, could you imagine a king giving a gift that was broken? saying, hey, here's a car, and you go to start it, and it doesn't turn on, that king would be embarrassed. He would be embarrassed because it's according to the measure of his glory that his gifts come from. That's why Jesus' gifts are to be treated with amazing reverence and awe. To see someone operating in the gifts of the Spirit is an incredible thing. Because it's according to Jesus. It reflects on Jesus. It's his, it's his reputation that's on the line. So for you to not know your gift is a travesty. You should know it. Why? Because Jesus thought of you enough to preordain, to preplan what gift he would give you. And to walk in it is so vital for us so important for us. That's why it's in the word here. That's why we're going to spend a week talking about this. So these gifts are not designed to win the war. Why would that be? Because the war has already been won. The war has already been won. It was won when Jesus Christ said, it is finished on the cross. It was paid for. No, these gifts are designed to make the church stand apart as a supernatural entity in the world. Something that is totally different in the whole world. Different than any company, any group, any, any body of people. The church should be so different. And it's because of these gifts. They are what makes this church different. Something no company or marketing agency could ever duplicate. These gifts are the reason why we are different. So if that's the case, if the gifts that God has given us are to be the supernatural way that we work in the world that makes the church different, why does the church ever duplicate worldly advertising schemes or plans or projects? Why does the church do that? It's a really great question. And I want your eyes to be open to what you see in the church. And maybe you observe a church that they, they look just like the most popular brand out there. They have this fancy thing or that fancy way of doing things or this really impactful emotional thing. And I want you to ask yourself, 
is this spiritual? Is this a spiritual gift? And is it different than the world? Because God has given us something so different that the world is actually going to try to imitate us. They see Christians with joy and hands raised, and they find that amazing. Why do we try to be something else? Why do we try to imitate them when we have it? It's a good question. Look at verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So Paul here, he gives us not every spiritual gift. It's not his intention here in this scripture is to give us every spiritual gift. But he focuses on the list of gifts that is all about church leadership and how, how Jesus wants his church to be led. So Jesus has his church and it's going to spread around the whole world. And instead of having a college that sends out pastors who have been trained like a boot camp, he, doesn't, he bypasses that. And he says, I'm going to spread out my church and I'm just going to supernaturally gift people all around the world. Africa, Australia, England, America. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to gift them so that there's, it doesn't have to be centralized. It can be mobile. It can spread. And through my gift to them, they'll be able to lead the church, wherever they're at. And so you can have a church start on an island where nobody has been before. Maybe there's just a group of people and someone goes there and shares the gospel and the church goes. And then after a hundred years, no one visiting them, they just had the Bible. And then the Spirit gifting those people, they would have these four classes of leaders, I believe. Because God would supernaturally grow that church. He would do it. So some of you are called to leadership. Maybe a lot of you are. So one of these four gifts would be something that would be in your life, something you would recognize. So let's look at them. Number one, apostles. These are people sent to start new works. I would call these missionaries in our terms today. The church is totally stagnant without these people, and that's why I thought it was pretty amazing you guys came today. We hadn't pre-planned the, the having... Um, Bob, come up here and Barb. Um, but the way it worked today, and as I was talking with them before service, in my mind, it happened, hey, I'm teaching about apostles and they have missionaries and people going out to a distant land. Well, this is what they do. And the church is stagnant without these guys. You know, th those who feel a call to just go and do something, people who don't care about boundaries, who don't care about learning other languages. You guys get off easy because you're going to England, but they still talk funny. People who have a remarkable, adventurous spirit. People just willing to go. And it can, it can also refer to those original 12, you know, apostles and, and Paul and James. But even those guys, they were really sent, sent out in a very specific way. Um, and it doesn't, we don't have to limit this. We do have to limit it when we talk about pastoral, uh, apostolic authority and writing the word of God and stuff like that. But when I talk about sending people out, those apostles were all gifted 
as sent out ones. In fact, one of them I was just going to mention was Thomas. You guys remember Thomas? He was always doubting. Well, after Jesus ascended, and, and man, he was amazing. He went to India. All of them went different places, but I really love Thomas because India was like the other side of the world, you know, and, and, and he journeyed really far to India. And there's, there's stories and there's records of what he did in India of over 150,000 people being converted in India by Thomas. He was just their pastor. He moved out there. He was eventually martyred there in India. But those churches that were founded by Thomas endured for generations and generations and generations through persecutions. And, and there's still groups of people that say, yeah, we were, just, we were the church that Thomas started. This is in the northwestern uh, uh, section of India. Uh, so it's really amazing that these sent out ones um, go and have such a huge impact. Uh, impact. Um, in the first and second centuries, it was commonly viewed that apostles were just men who went, who, who traveled around and didn't settle in a single church, but moved around from place to place as messengers of the gospel. I like using those term missionaries. Um, and they're real leaders in the church. You know, they're committed to the Lord, ready to give their lives for Jesus. Maybe you're a missionary to your company. Maybe you see your company as just like another world away from the real world, you know, but that might be where Jesus has sent you to, uh, to work for him or to start, a, start a, a work for the Lord there. Maybe God is going to call you to Africa. But don't worry. If he calls you there, he'll give you this gift. You know, I know many people who are like, I just don't want God to call me to Africa if I give him my life. You don't have to worry about that because it's going to be your joy to go. You're going to be like, I, I have to go. I want to go. It's my gift to go. All right, so the second one he mentions is prophets. These are men or women who are filled with the Spirit of God, who by God's authority and command, in words and, and pleading, they, they, they put forth the Word of God and, and, and cause people to think about God's will and God's desire for their life. It's someone who can just speak the right words at the right time. Someone who's, well, sometimes these prophets, they struggle with humility because they have a, maybe a gifted or an easy sense of what God is doing in someone's life and maybe even in their, in their own life. And so it just kind of comes easy for them. And so they struggle sometimes with humbly serving the Lord in this. But they just have a way of helping us know what God is doing and how we should respond. And what they say always lines up with the word of God, or should, if that's their gift with the full Bible. Sometimes they're just quoting a verse that they read that morning, or sometimes they're rewording it in a way that makes more sense to the person they're talking to, but it's truly a gift that they're speaking forth a message to that person. And maybe God has gifted you to speak boldly into someone's life. You know, we shouldn't shrink away or back away from that because it's, it's a way that you're serving the church. And here's my advice to you if you're gifted in this way. Read your Bible all the time so that you're ready when he wants to use you. Because what you're speaking forth is the word of God, and how can you be ready if you haven't been in the word of God? And here's my question. What company out there, if the church is to not be like a company or an organization, what company out there has someone who can see hidden things, who can warn them of upcoming problems or 
encourage someone who didn't even know they were discouraged yet. These things that prophets are gifted to do. It's not like that. The church is different. The church is better. The church is supernatural. Because we have also evangelists, people who always have the lost in the forefront of their minds, people who don't yet know the Lord. Everything they hear in church, they're thinking about how they can translate it and share it with a coworker or a friend or an enemy who needs to come to know Jesus. And they're so desperately needed in the church, people who are gifted to tell others what we're doing here in church and and they have a supernatural boldness to invite them to church. Evangelists often have a really amazing and genuine way of communicating the gospel in a way that melts hearts. Some, they can sometimes just share the good news, and it really sounds like good news to the people who are hearing it. They're just able to be honest and genuine. And what makes a really great evangelist is a broken heart someone who cares for the souls of men and women, whoever they meet. And conversely, what makes a really bad evangelist is someone who doesn't care. Someone who says, turn or burn with anger. What company out there has employees who supernaturally share their brand with power conv powerful conviction to anyone from family members to strangers. That doesn't happen either. Either, no matter how happy you are at the company you work for, you're not getting a tattoo of them. Some evangelists do. Well, the, the fourth one that we're going to look at is pastor-teacher. And you say in your mind, isn't that two? But it's actually one gift with two job descriptions. We'll, we'll call it that way. One gift with two descriptive words. As someone who watches out for the people of God and teaches them the word of God in a consistent and reliable way. I asked uh, my son, what do you think makes a good pastor? He's like, I don't know. Let me go ask Pastor Ed. <laughs> I was like, bro, come on. <laughs> no, the gift of pastor teachers is a little bit more common for us to understand um, the pastor part, you know, he, he can look at and see threats to a person in his, in his church or in his flock, we'll call it, and, and he's willing and able to do something about that threat. God gives pastors a supernatural ability to say, that's going to be a problem in your life sometime. And, and I don't know how it happens, but the Spirit does it. It's a real gift. And it's not so that we can say, or so that we can give some sort of ominous warning. It's, it's because we're charged with the protection of Jesus' own body. His own body. We're the ones, we're like the hand that covers a cut on the body and says, we're going to take a break right now. We're not going to expose this because it's, it's hurting and it's in pain right now, so we're going to watch carefully over that area of the body. pastor is gifted at that. And someone who's able to teach, that's the teaching part, the Word of God completely to every person who comes, no matter the challenges that are presented in teaching. 
They're like the drill sergeants of the army world, preparing them for the battles that are to come. Someone who's able to labor in prayer for the people and help them know what God's will is for their life, what God's word has to say about any situation. That's what pastors are gifted in. Some teachers of the Bible are not great pastors. They like talking about the Bible. They like having intellectual conversations, and they like preaching, but they're not too concerned with the actual lives of the people that they're talking to. But that's why God joins these two roles into one. He doesn't want an intellectual conversation every Sunday at church. He's much more concerned that the pastor care for his people. You can be a good pastor and not be a good communicator. You can be a good pastor and not be a dynamic personality. The gift of pastor-teacher is much more about your ability to bring clarity, instruction, and protection to a group of people than it is about delivering a stirring or powerful sermon. Much more. But there's churches all around our city even that are built upon just the sermon because it's entertaining or it's powerful or it's fun. But the ministry lacks depth because the pastor is struggling in his gift of being a pastor, really caring about the people. Here's the question you've got to ask when you go to church. Is this supernatural motivation or is it clever manipulation happening in the pulpit? Is this, does this sermon have a supernatural power in my life to draw me to Jesus, to cause me to repent? Or is the pastor awesome at hanging right to the right moment when he can dag it into your heart and make you feel a certain way? Because there are pastors that are amazing communicators. Amazing. And I'm not saying you should go to a church with a bad one, but, but it's, that's not the point. The gift is in the power to communicate. The power to be spiritually relevant, not culturally relevant. So that's the pastor gifted. So what company has a man who deeply cares about the souls of each of its employees and is equipped to protect them and instruct them. And I can't think of a single one. We are not a company. We are the church. And we are supernaturally enabled. For what? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of, the, of Christ. Whose job is it to do the work of the ministry? The answer from this question is you. Your job. Each of these leaders in the church are here for you to be edified, encouraged, and built up to do what? To love each other skillfully. That's the work of the ministry, to love each other skillfully, to love, to be amazing at agape love. The leaders of their church are here for you. It's never the other way around. You are not here to make the pastor feel better. You are here to be built up, equipped, encouraged, informed, protected, healed, and restored. 
And when you are confused, the church is there with answers. And when you're tired, the church is here to help you out. When you're hurt, the church is here for your healing and compassion. And when you're lonely, the church is here for, with fellowship. When you are weak, the church is here with strength. All so that we can love each other in the way that the world finds unbelievable and undeniable. That's the way that we're supposed to have a marketing department, is you guys loving each other. That's our marketing department. That's how word gets around. Because when they see a marriage that's falling apart and then two people radically fall in love with Jesus and Jesus restores and heals that marriage, that doesn't happen in the world. When they see a life that's been burned by people or by organizations or, or just burned and, and always gets a disease or whatever, and yet with joy they respond and praise the Lord, that's not natural. And that's the work of the ministry, is this love. We love and love and love and then get tired and then love some more. We love in every circumstance, in every situation, in every divorce, in drug-addicted life, in every challenge and horrible thing this world has to offer, we offer back one thing, and that's love. Until what? Until verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Love is the unity of the faith. Unity is not being together. It's not agreeing on everything. It's not being bigger and better than everyone. It's not having the best arguments for creation. It's not having the best worship team. Unity is defined by our love for one another. Then you will know, it says here, what Jesus is all about. When you know agape love you will really get Jesus. Some people think, I just don't get church. I don't get why they go there. I don't get why it's important for me to be a church. I mean, it's a really a waste of my time. And when you get love, you'll get it. When you experience the love that the church has for you, you will get it. That's how you'll get it. Many people think it's about a denomination or a building, but they don't get Jesus. Or about the message or the sermon or the programs or the rock and worship team, but they don't get Jesus because it's all about knowing him and making him known. Knowing his love. Our leaders, these prophets and evangelists and missionaries and pastor teachers, they are gifted to help us understand that love. And that will lead us to the unity of love, a true understanding about Jesus. And it says to a perfect man. What does that mean? Well, perfect means maturity, a man that's brought to maturity. It means we are mature when we understand that it's all about agape love, when it's all about Jesus' love. That's when you're mature. An immature man is about building influence or power or a bigger church. A mature man is only concerned about loving his God and loving his neighbor. An immature man at church is at church to make God happy or to gain blessings, while, while a mature man 
is part of a church to serve God and serve his neighbors in love. An immature man is trying to change people. A mature man is trying to love them. Knowing that the change will come if they walk in the Spirit. And he can only be a part of that work through love. And it says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the goal for each one of us is that we measure up to Jesus Christ. Well, how in the world can that happen? Jesus is completely perfect, and we, last time I checked, are not. Well, the greatest trade in human history is this, that Jesus traded his perfect life for our ugly, sinful life. We gain his life by this trade. He imparts that life to us. And as we walk by faith, as we walk with him and in him, we become like him practically. The life that we've been given by Jesus comes out as we walk with him. His life becomes so poured out into our own that it eventually takes over our own behavior. It eventually takes over our actions. And you can't try to do it. You just need to walk in him, walk with him, and his life will pour out from you. And then verse 15, 14, then, or that, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by the cunning craftiness of deceitful people. Because as you walk with Jesus, growing in agape love, you will not stay a child. You will not. You will grow. Children are easily tricked, like with the salt at a restaurant. Every time we're at a restaurant, I put the salt there. They're not in here. Okay, so I put the salt here at the edge of the table, right? Right here. And then I put the napkin over it. And then I, I sneakily move the salt into my lap, right? And then I say, abracadabra, boom. And I flatten the napkin. And, and my kids always, without fail, they're like, oh, it's magic. You made the salt disappear every time. They're easily tricked, right? And then I pass it to my wife under. And then I, I, I pull it from behind her ear. And, and they just think, the look on their face, like, we've been doing this for 10 years. And they, they still have no clue, which maybe we should homeschool. But... <laughs> But that said, the children are easy to trick. That's the point. It's, it's not hard. You, you make them, you say, pull your hands together. You know, push your hands together. You guys could do this if you want. You say, push your hands together real tight like this. And then you have them, you, you put an invisible rope around their hands. And you count in your head to just 30 or something while they're pushing really hard. And then you say, now slowly try to pull your hands apart. And because of the muscle memory in our hand, it, it doesn't, your hands don't pull apart. And it feels like there's a rope around your hand. And the kids are like, oh my gosh, you, how do you have a magic invisible rope? Easy to trick kids. Tell you what, all the time. It's my favorite pastime. <laughs> You're thinking, why are your kids <laughs> still at home? But, but God, following Jesus is not a trick. Being part of the church is not a waste of your time. And when you follow Jesus, you will not be easily tricked. 
He wants us to mature and he, he knows and, and to know why we're here, to love others. And anything that leads away from that is a wind of doctrine, a trick, a cunning, crafty, deceitful plot, Paul says. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them out there in the church. They've, they've just got these things that don't, don't show love. They're not about love. And, and it's a, Paul says, a cunning, crafty, deceitful plot. I don't know if he could be any more clear about what these things are. But listen, following Jesus will never be a trick. And Paul says it's not that hard. It's not that hard. This whole church thing is not a big mystery. It's about love. And if you're loving God and loving others, you're going to be okay. It doesn't matter if you go to our church or the church over there or the church up there or the church back there. If you're focused on loving God and loving others, you're going to be okay. You're going to be able to recognize the doctrinal things that you need to recognize. It's going to be okay. If you stay in the word, you love God and you love other people. And that's what the leaders should be here to teach you. And he says, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Our leaders, they help us to hear the truth. They teach us how to walk in love. And they lead us to Jesus every time, always. And they never lead us to their own ministries. They never lead us to angels or saints or another God. They only ever lead us to Jesus and his love in all things. Every season of your life, there will be a leader in the church to lead you to Jesus if you look for them. This is the part where you look, you come to church and say, this is what's going on in my life and watch the church minister to you. Be open to see how the church will minister to you. Maybe it'll be a missionary. Maybe some guy at your work or the store or your school is faithful to just love you like Jesus because he was sent there. That's how the church works. Maybe it'll be a prophet. Someone just calls you out of the blue or takes you aside to speak a word to you and say, bro, I got something for you. God wants you to know he loves you. Or here's how you can love your wife. Or here's how you can do this. A prophet. Maybe it'll be an evangelist. Someone who seeks you out and comes after you when you haven't been to church in a little while. Or someone that just brings you hope and love. They go to you. They go and find you. It's an evangelist. Or maybe it'll just be your pastor teacher. And you'll just be sitting in church and then Jesus touches your life or brings you understanding or you come early to serve or pray and you're just somehow protected and instructed as you're hanging out here with, not, I'm not the only gifted pastor teacher here in this room. And there's others that you could be encouraged by. And it says here that it's speaking the truth in love and it's a skill that, that these leaders teach the people. It's an invaluable skill. It's not just for the gifted ones, it's Paul teaches us that it's God's will for every mature Christian to be able to speak the truth in love. Some are great at speaking the truth. Some are awesome at speaking the truth. But it's not with love, and so it comes off harsh. Truth without love is brutality, just like Darth Vader. He spoke the truth 
I am your father. But it had no love. <laughs> you could tell by the way Luke reacted. He jumped off a cliff. <laughs> if people are jumping off the cliff, when you speak truth to them, you're probably not doing it in love. I just made a theological point with Darth Vader. <laughs> probably won't happen again. Some people are loving, but they never speak the truth. And that is, by definition, shallow. It's like the sloppy agape <laughs> that, that some churches, you know, all they want is people to come in, but they don't call sin, sin. And they don't ever call people to repent. They don't ever tell them the truth that if you live that way your whole life, you are going to die and go to hell. It doesn't matter if you say you believe in Jesus. You're not walking with him. And the truth is, you can't live that way. It is, you are by your life, you are denying the Lord who bought you. And they're afraid to say that. Because they're loving. Oh, it's so, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to hurt you. I just love you. But they're not truthful. And it doesn't work. Jesus, he says, has a deeper plan for us to speak the truth in love, to know who we are, why we believe the way we do, that's the truth, and to know the way we do things, the love. Some people study so hard to know why they believe, and they go to seminary, and they, learn, they get insane about studying the Bible, and they're, well, it says here, and it says here, and all this is say, you are a jerk, and I don't like you, and you should come to church and repent, and, and they lose the love. They lose it. They know why they believe what they believe, but they don't know how. They don't know how to communicate it. But when our church leaders are leading us, we will be operating as the church, the most supernatural and life-changing witness in the entire world is the church when we're doing this. We're powerfully bringing truth in powerful love. Powerfully bringing truth to people, saying, repent, repent. Come to the Lord, turn to the Lord in love, saying, I will give you my whole life. I love you. I'm all yours. Some of you are gifted in these areas, and some are gifted in other areas that we didn't talk about today. So how can you see these gifts operate in your life? And the answer is you humbly abide in Christ and those and hang out with those who are already walking in their gifts. If your question is, all right, so I get you. I'm feeling what you're saying. As Brandon would say, I'm smelling what you're stepping in. But how do I know what, what my gift is? How do I know? Well, the answer is spend time with the Lord, spend time in the Word. Okay, that's the basis. And then hang out with those who are already walking in their, their gifts. Pray and ask God to reveal it to you. Read, spend time in the Word, and you will see your heart change. You become free from the cloudiness of your flesh. And as you spend time in the Word, you'll just see things differently, and you'll be like, you know what? If Jordan was walking down here, I would stand up and say, buddy, I'm so sorry. I love you so much, and uh, let me pick you up. I, I might be gifted in mercy. Let me see how I can... What do you think, Pastor Sean? Do you think I'm gifted in mercy? I don't know. 
and I would ask, I would ask you some questions, and maybe we'd talk about it together, and say, yeah, I could, I could go with that. I think that may be what the Lord is doing in your life. Let's pray and spend time in the Word, and you'll see that these things will become clear in your life. I'm sorry I don't have a test you can take. Not that those are bad. There's spiritual gift, gift test on Facebook or whatever. Go for it. But I know that the Holy Spirit has no problem communicating to his people. There's no, he has no problem at all. He can tell you right away. But I think sometimes he just wants you to come and ask him a few more times. Not because he's... Not because he's like, no, you're not there yet. Keep asking. Oh, no, you haven't made me want to get, tell you yet. No, it's not like that. No, he just likes spending the time with you. He just likes that you're interested in what he wants to do with you. He likes that you, as his commando in the spirit, his gifted person, that you're committed to him and not your gift. That you're committed to seek him until your gift is made known. He wants to know that you're really committed to him. Because this is a war, and we are desperate for soldiers. Not just soldiers. We don't want just these seats filled with privates. We want the right soldiers. We want spec ops for Jesus. We want the, the right gifted people and people who know their gifts to be filling this room so that all the people who are dying and going to hell will see the love in this room. And they will see us being encouraged to love each other, being prophesied to and, and taught, and see us going out as missionaries and the evangelists communicating it to the world what's going on here. The world needs that. All these houses where people are dying and going to hell, they need it. So, let's pray. And let's ask the Lord to do a work in our hearts. So Jesus, we ask that in this, Lord, time of, of just responding to your word, Lord God, that it would be, um, Lord, that we would be so encouraged Lord, these gifts are not a burden. They're such a treasure. And they're according to the gift of Christ, which means that they just, they glorify you, Lord. It's all about you. So, Lord, I pray that those in here who are wondering what their gift is, Lord, that you would just begin the process of speaking to their heart. And that you would confirm in them through your word and through the leaders in their life, Lord, and through the church, Lord Jesus, what, what you have for them. And Lord, we ask that, um, Lord, all of our attention, all our focus would be on you and our commitment would, would be to you. And God, we thank you so much for dying for us on the cross. And if you have never in your life made a decision that you want to follow Jesus and that you want to give your life to him, and you want to find out what your spiritual gifts are, and you want to choose a side in this war of good and evil and, and the, the, yeah, like baselines of evil. <laughs> Just kidding. But Lord, we, I mean, 
If you want to choose your side and you want to follow Jesus, then I invite you to pray with me right now and say, Jesus, my life is yours. I want to follow you. I want to repent of my own life, my own ways. And I want to live for your glory because you died on the cross for me. You were my substitute for my sin. And Lord God, I believe in that. And I ask you to come into my heart and make me new. And I'll follow you all the days of my life. Amen.